Pastor Jeff, you'll notice, isn't here this morning. He and his family are still on vacation, and they're enjoying just some time off to, to be together, to get refreshed and rejuvenated. And uh, so he had asked me several weeks ago what I wanted to preach. And at the time, um, in the high school Sunday school class, we were going through a, a Old Testament timeline, and I was we were near the book of Habakkuk, and I just kind of thought, Habakkuk, that sounds great. Let's do it. So um, we're going to try and cover a whole book of the Bible. It's three chapters long, so it's not um, terribly uh, long, but it's it's a, a very interesting thought-provoking, and very practical book of the Old Testament. How many of you have ever had something difficult in your life? Okay. Yeah. Hands should be going up, right? So I say that this book is very practical because uh, that is one of the, the key messages, if you will, of this book of Habakkuk is what do we do with difficult things in life? How do we get through hard times? And we're going to see that this isn't just uh, hard times like, oh, my car broke down. Uh, But the hard times that this prophet Habakkuk is going through, um, they are like Nothing that I've ever seen. They're nothing like anything. I don't think any of you out there have gone through personally the things that Habakkuk is looking at going through. And the thing that we're going to see in this book is that faith brings him through. And it is such a, a, a good message and such a powerful message. And it's something that that we need to remember today. And the thing that is cool about the fact that this is an Old Testament prophet who is bringing us this message, the thing that that stands out is that message has been the same ever since the beginning. How do we get through hard times? It's through faith. It's through faith, not in something mystical or out there that can't be seen or felt, but it's faith in the one true God of the universe who made everything, who is Lord of all, who is in control of all, who is sovereign over all. And when we put our faith and our trust in him, we can literally go through anything. That sounds pretty good, huh? But notice that I say go through, right? What I want is be kept away from, right? I don't want to go through hard times. I don't want pain. I don't want suffering. I don't want hard things because I'm a wuss. (laughs) You know, I want an easy life. And that, unfortunately, is what some people will proclaim about the Bible and about the gospel is here is an easy life. But it's not true, is it? The opposite is true. Here is a hard life 
but one that is worth it. One that is so rewarding. And the thing that we see in Habakkuk and that we see throughout the Bible is we see God's people going through hard things. And when they put their faith and their trust in him, they are rewarded not in the sense all the time of of monetary blessings and, and freedoms and stuff like that, but they are rewarded in the fact that they grow closer to their Lord and they know him more fully and they understand the depravity of sin and the holiness of God better. And they are more conformed to his image. And that in and of itself is a great reward. It's the greatest reward. Sometimes I think that, that the greatest reward would be riches and houses. And I just spent a week out at Long Beach. It'd be great to have a vacation home at Long Beach. Like that would be the greatest reward, right? No, it wouldn't. If I could learn to be more like Christ, if I could have more patience, if I could have more love, if I could have more mercy and grace, that is of greater reward than those things. And the thing that we have to realize is that those things come through trials, persecutions, hard times. So that's kind of where we're headed with the book of Habakkuk. Let's pause for a second and let's pray and then we'll, we'll move on. Lord, I thank you so much for this morning, I thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. And Lord, I pray that you will guide my words this morning, that you will, by your spirit, help us to understand this book, that you will help us to be able to apply it to the, our own situations in our lives and help us to be encouraged by studying the book of Habakkuk this morning. Lord, I, I thank you for this opportunity and we pray that, that you will work in us now. We ask this in your name. Amen. So there's a, a couple of things that I was thinking about when it comes to this book. And first is muscles. What does it take to, to build muscles? Well, you have to work out, right? And the thing is, when you work out, what you're actually doing is you're tearing your muscles. You're... you're ripping them on a cellular level, and then your muscles respond by growing back stronger. But it takes that tearing, that ripping, it takes that pain in order to gain strength. Uh, blacksmithing is something that I'm kind of fascinated by. Uh, I don't know how to do it, but I would love to be a blacksmith and make things with a hammer and an anvil with the furnace and all that stuff. I think it's awesome. But again, what does it take to make something beautiful out of metal? It takes a lot of heat and it takes a lot of pressure and time and repeated pounding. <laughs> yeah. Now, I would like to think that that I wouldn't need that in my own life to change, but I know that I'm kind of like a piece of metal. And God is working in my life, and he wants to make something of me, 
But the thing is, he's got to do some pounding. He's got to put some, some heat to me sometimes because as much as I would like to think that, that I could just learn to be more like Christ and have everything great and perfect, I know myself that in those times where, where it seems like everything is great and perfect, what is my tendency? Well, I, I kind of walk further from the Lord. I'm less dependent on him. I'm less of everything that I really should be. But then when the hammer comes, I'm on my knees and I'm praying. And I'm dependent on God. And it's, it's the way that things work. When we have hard times, our, our faith and our trust in the Lord is built. It's strengthened. A few weeks ago, um, in one of our elder meetings, we were just considering the first couple of verses of James. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You Trials and tribulations and hard times are not fun, but they serve a purpose and they have a reason. The purpose is that we might be made perfect, that we might be made complete. And the, the reason behind it is those hard times test our faith and that, that testing of our faith proves its genuineness and it strengthens it over time. So I've talked a lot about faith and trials and hard times. Now let's look at what this book is, is talking about. So the setting for the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk was a prophet to the southern tribes of Israel and this was at the very end of the nation of Israel. Um, you had a series of, of kings, starting with David, which we've been learning a lot about David. After David, man, things went downhill. And they went downhill fast. Um, the kings after David led the people into all kinds of immorality and idol worship. And it got to be where when you looked at Israel, there, there really wasn't much difference between them and the pagan nations around them in terms of idolatry, in terms of injustice, in terms of violence, in terms of, of anything, you name it, they were, they were basically a copycat of the world around them. And because of that, and you know, there was this split in Israel and there were northern tribes and there were southern tribes and the northern tribes ended up getting taken away by Assyria into captivity and they never came back. They were just gone because they were awful. <laughs> the southern tribes were more faithful to God but still they were horrible. And as a result, they, they lasted a bit longer but the setting of the book of Habakkuk, like I said, is the very end of the nation, the southern nation of Israel. And it's interesting that towards the very end of the southern tribes, there was a king named Josiah. Does that ring a bell? 
So King Josiah starts reigning when he's eight, and he finds the law. He is, you know, going through some old tablets or old scrolls, and he finds the, the writings of Moses, and they read them, and there is this revival. And a lot of the idol worship is stopped, and a lot of the violence and injustice is stopped. And there's this huge tent revival in the nation of Israel, and things are looking good. But then Josiah dies. And the very next king leads the people back into the depravity that they were in. And the next king after him leads them even further into depravity. And so this is the time where Habakkuk is living, and this is the setting for the book. And it's thought that Habakkuk probably saw the reforms of Josiah and then saw this huge downhill slide. And this is where we pick up. Start reading in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. These are the days and times of Israel. There is no justice. There is violence. There is uh, contempt for uh, the poor and the needy and those who are rich are rich through sordid gains and they are trying to become more rich on the backs of those who are downtrodden and there is no justice because those officials who are there to, to bring right, to make good decisions are the very ones who are being perverted and who are after this ill-gotten gain and so they're being bought off and there's all kinds of horrible things going on and not to mention, you know, not only to mention that stuff, but nobody's following after God, seemingly. They're all following after other idols and, and worshiping um, elsewhere. And it's horrible. It's a really bad time. And so Habakkuk cries out to the Lord and, and the form here is, is a lament. He's looking around and he's lamenting the state of Israel. And he's going, how long are you going to let this go on, Lord? He'd seen reform with Josiah, but now they're back in the mire. And he's going, man, something's got to give. Like, God, are you going to do something? Now, this book is, is broken up into five main sections, and this is the first section. Habakkuk has a complaint. My Bible, the, the title says Habakkuk's Complaint. Really, it's a, it's a lament. And that's the first section. In the next section, we're going to see God answers. And that's in chapters, chapter 1, verses uh, 5 through 11. God answers. 
But he doesn't answer quite how Habakkuk would want him to answer. And so Habakkuk has a second complaint. And then after that, we see God answer one more time. Um, Habakkuk's second complaint is 1.12 through 2.1. And God's second answer is in 2.2 all the way up until chapter 3. And then we end the book with Habakkuk's uh, resolve after he has heard what God has to say. So we've heard Habakkuk's complaint. Now let's look at God's answer. So the situation is terrible in Israel. It's just horrible. And God answers. He says, Habakkuk, look among the nations and see. Verse 5. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press, loud, press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At the kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Pause. There's God's answer. God Things are horrible here in Israel. Don't worry, Habakkuk. Here's your answer. The Babylonians are coming. What? <laughs> Woo. Wait, hold on. <laughs> See, last time you, you, Josiah found the law, and then things were good, right? But this time, what are you saying? The Babylonians are coming. And God gave a pretty good description of them. Um, if you notice this, uh, there are, are several things that, that God says about these, uh, these Babylonians. And uh, I like the way that Ken Fentress uh, 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 writes. He says that these Babylonians are hostile, they're haughty, they're hasty, they're harmful, they're hardened, and they're hell-bent. Sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> and, and when you look at these verses describing them, you see that. Verse 6, um, they're hostile. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They just, they're coming to power, and they're doing it through force, through might. They're taking what is not their own. They are killing and pillaging and they don't care. They're just growing their empire. They're hostile. They're haughty, verse 7. They're dreaded and fearsome. They're in, their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Did you catch that? They, they are a law to themselves, basically. Whatever they want to do, they do. They are haughty. They are proud. They're hasty, verse 8. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. 
They're fast and there's nothing stopping them. Yikes. They're harmful, verse 9. They come for violence. They are hardened, verse 10. They scoff at kings. They don't care who gets in their way. They just run them over. They overpower them. And they're hell-bent, verse 11. They sweep like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. They come in like the wind. They ravage a place and they keep on going. Okay, so, hmm, what's Habakkuk to do with this answer? (laughs) Well, let's look. So Habakkuk now has information, and he's trying to process it, and here's where he's at, verse 12 through 17. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Basically what what Habakkuk is trying to bring to God's attention is these guys are worse than we are. And have you seen what they're doing? Like mankind is just like a school of fish to them and they're out there, they're using their drag nets and their hooks and and whatever they can to just gather all these fish for themselves to make themselves wealthy, to build themselves up and they don't care about the the fish, they only care about the results and not only that, but they, they start to see themselves as gods and they worship their they're dragnets, and they worship the fact that they are able to overcome these people, and they have lifted themselves up so high, and they think so highly of themselves that, that they really think that they are God. And, and God, how can you use these people to, to discipline us, your people? Israel, remember Abraham? (laughs) You made promises to Abraham that we would be your people, that you would bless us, that we would have a land, all that kind of stuff. And now it looks like that's all going out the window. When Habakkuk says, are you not from everlasting? He he may be thinking back to Deuteronomy um, or Excuse me, he may be thinking back to uh, Genesis chapter 17. In Genesis 17, God is, is speaking to Abraham after the covenant of circumcision, and he says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations." 
I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout this, their generations, and for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you, and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. He's saying, God, you've promised us these things and you said that they're going to be everlasting and aren't you still this everlasting God? Are you not from everlasting? Do you remember these things? And I just don't get it. You know, how can something as horrible as the Babylons do any good? Babylonians do any good. How can something as horrible as cancer do any good? How can something as, as horrible as losing my job do any good? How can something as horrible as fill in the blank do any good? That's a real question, right? Well... How do we answer that? What does Habakkuk do? Let's look at verse two, or chapter two, verse one. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. There's a little bit of uh, discussion on whether um, the attitude of Habakkuk in this verse. Uh, but it kind of seems like he, he feels like he's made a pretty good argument. And he's going, you know what? I think I've, I've made a good argument to God that he shouldn't use the Babylonians because they're horrible. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait and I'm going to see how he's going to answer. Or if he answers. Well, he does answer. So we continue. The Lord answered me. Chapter 2, verse 2. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So the first thing that God tells Habakkuk is, okay, I'm going to answer this, and I want to make sure that you write this down so that you can remember and so that other people can see it because other people will have these same questions. And I want this to be able to be spread around because it's important, and these questions are important. So get ready. Write this down. Here it comes. And then he says, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Basically, he is saying, look, Habakkuk, the Babylonians are coming. And I appreciate, you know, the, the situation that you're in, and I appreciate your, your questioning, but here's the thing. They're coming. It, it has, it's, my plan. 
It's the way things are. And if, you know, Habakkuk were, were thinking correctly, he would have known that this was going to happen. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, there are blessings for following after God and there are curses for not following after God. And one of the things that, uh, that is said in Deuteronomy 28, 49 through 50 it says this, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. And it goes on to describe this nation that is going to come, that is going to take them over and take them into captivity if they do not follow after God's commands. Are they following after God's commands? No. But isn't God merciful and patient and long-suffering and all of that? Absolutely. And he has been with the nation of Israel. He's sent judges to try and bring the people back to him. And it hasn't worked. He's, he allowed them to set up a kingdom a king, and the first king, well, we've been studying him, and he didn't turn out so well. And David was a man after God's own heart, but he had his own difficulties, and from there it just went downhill for hundreds of years. And so he sent prophets to bring the people back to himself. And did they listen to the prophets? No, they hated him. They killed them. They took joy in mocking them and they didn't listen to their message. And so has, isn't God merciful and long-suffering and patient? Absolutely, but now's the time. He has been patient. He has been long-suffering. Now's the time. Habakkuk, it's gonna come. Fortunately, though, he, he gives the nation some hope through the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 25, 11 through 12, we, we find out that there's a limit to this judgment that's coming. And it says this, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So there's a limit to this judgment from God, but it's coming. And there's nothing that's going to stop it. Now, as to Habakkuk's uh, thoughts about the character of the nation of Babylon and, it, and its ruler, well, God has an answer for that. Basically, Habakkuk says, don't you see these guys? Don't you know who they are and how unholy they are? And God says, yes, I see them. And yes, I know how unholy they are and I'm not just going to let it go and verse 4 is a real turning point in this book it is kind of the, the one of the most important verses in this book one of the most important verses in the Bible it's used several times in the New Testament to talk about faith and it says this behold his soul is puffed up it is not upright within him, but 
The righteous shall live by his faith. So in this verse, God is, is drawing a contrast. He's just told Habakkuk, look, it's coming. The Babylonians are coming. But here's the thing. In verse 4, when it says his soul, it's referring to the Babylonian king, the empire. And he's saying he's puffed up. And, and his soul is not upright within him. And we're going to see what happens because of that. But here's the thing, Habakkuk. You have faith in me? Right? So here is how you're going to get through this. The righteous shall live by his faith. Habakkuk, you may feel like you're all alone, but you're not. And, and those who are righteous during this time will get through it living by faith. Faith in me, because I'm the God above and over all of this. So, so put your eyes on me, and I'll bring you through. Now, as for this Babylon, well, let me tell you something about Babylon. God goes on and he says, Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects all his own peoples. This is just kind of a, a summary, if you will. And it's interesting some commentators say that there's a connection here between uh, what Daniel writes later on and the actual fall of, of Babylon, where if you remember King Belteshazzar, the writing on the wall, and that very night as they're partying, they're taken over. Um, wine is a traitor. <laughs> Some people say, yeah, there's definite connection. Others say, oh, I'm not so sure, but it kind of seems like a connection to me. Um, that God is saying, look, he's going to come to an end. Wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. You know, Babylon is, is acting like hell itself. It's just gathering in all that it can without any regard to how it gathers, and there's a limit to that. I'm not going to let it continue. So we continue on then in, in verse 6. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, and he, he goes into the section where there are several different woes against the nation of Babylon. And these woes, we aren't going to take a, a whole lot of time to, to look at them individually. But the first one uh, he says, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Basically, what God is saying is, yeah, I know who Babylon is. I know what they've done, and I'm pronouncing woe on them because they have heaped up what is not their own. They've taken so much, and the time is coming where I'm going to put an end to it. 
they're not going to take any more. And in fact, they will be spoil for the nations around them. So don't worry, Habakkuk. I've got this under control. <laughs> Woe to Babylon, he who heaps up what is not his own. And he continues on with, with all these uh, different woes. And in verses 9 through 11, we have a, another woe that is basically bringing out the covetousness or the longing that Babylon has. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. Basically, Babylon is just taking everything for himself. He sees it, he takes it. He sees it, he takes it. He builds up his own wealth. And the result, verse 11, the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork will respond. And what that is meaning is that all these things that he has taken is proof, is testimony when he falls, that he did not get this righteously, that it was not rightfully his. Everything that he has built has been through, through horrific means, and it's all going to testify that this guy is guilty, and he is worthy of punishment. The next few verses, 12 through 14, are a woe against the, the violence of Babylon. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. It's going to come back to haunt them. They're going to fall. The, the judgment for that is that they are trying to build up a name for themselves by doing all of this. And the result is that at their fall, verse 14, the earth will be filled not with the glory of Babylon, but the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. People are going to see what happened to Babylon and they're going to know that it was God who did that, who orchestrated their downfall. And so the glory of the Lord is going to spread, not the glory of Babylon. 15 through 17 are a woe just to the immorality that is going on. Uh, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. It's talking about immorality and all the, the nastiness that goes with drunkenness and just the, the horrible things that they're doing and gathering in people from other nations and, and forcing their will upon them. This is a part of you remember the whole story about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and them refusing the food and the wine of the Babylonians because they didn't want to partake in the iniquity and the immorality that went along with that. And what's the result? Well, shame and destruction. If you read on, it says that... Um, in the middle of verse 16, the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. Basically, that's signifying the fact that you're getting drunk and you're spreading your cup around, but watch out because the cup of the Lord's wrath is coming on you. And you don't want to be in the place where the cup of the Lord's wrath comes. It's not good. 
the last woe has to do with idolatry. And, you know, remember back in Habakkuk's second complaint, he said that they, they gather in the peoples like dragnets and then they worship their dragnets. Basically, they are worshiping their own strength, their own might, their own power. And it says, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The idols and the idolatry of the Babylonians will do them no good. Why? Because as Isaiah says in Isaiah 44, a man takes a piece of wood and half of it he uses for firewood to cook his meal and the other half he makes into an idol. What kind of an idiot does that? <laughs> You're worshiping the thing that you use to cook your food with. It's powerless, it's lifeless, it is nothing. And Babylon, you will have no help from any God that you serve. So these woes are proclaimed against Babylon and it's in response to Habakkuk's question, like, aren't you aware of who these guys are? And God says, I'm totally aware of who these guys are. And I, I hate it. I hate their iniquity, I hate their sin, I hate their violence, and they will pay. Now, whew, it's kind of a heavy book here. <laughs> how, do you, how do you respond to that? You know, you've been looking around at injustice and you've said, God, how long is this gonna take and to, to you know, make things good, and then God says, well, don't worry, the Babylonians are coming, and then you go, what? And then you find out, okay, well, God has them under control. How do you respond? Well, remember that verse, the just shall live by his faith, right? God's response spurs something in Habakkuk, because he is a righteous man who does want to live by faith. And the thing that it spurs is a remembrance of who God is. He is not an idol that is, you know, a piece of firewood that is lifeless, that is powerless. He's the God of the universe. He is not someone who just lets injustice go. He punishes and he makes things right. He is God. And he is spurred on to this um, chapter three where he basically has a little bit of a refocus in his life. And he ends this book with a prayer. Chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth, or however you say that. It's a musical term. And this is a, a prayer, but it's a psalm. It's a song that should be sung. And he starts out, he says, O oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O oh Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. 
God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Selah. There's a little bit of controversy again about exactly what Selah means, but it's commonly thought that it means like stop and consider this. Those two places there, Taman and Paran, are, are thought to be um, Mount Sinai and Egypt. And God's response makes Habakkuk think about the exodus of Israel. And he stops and he ponders. Hmm. You know, I, I asked God if, isn't he from everlasting? And now I know, yeah, he is from everlasting. He is the same God that was there at the Exodus. And so what he writes from then until verse 15 is a poetic remembrance of the Exodus. And there's all kinds of allusions to things that happened um, during that Exodus time, uh, pestilence and plagues and uh, all kinds of, of things but it, it points to the fact that God brought them out of the land. He overcame their enemies. He brought them into the promised land. And he's remembering this God is more powerful than anything. He moved nations. He made water come out of rocks. He brought bread from heaven. He did all of this for the nation of Israel. And this is the same God who I still serve and who I'm still having a conversation with. And so even though things look pretty bad right now, hmm, should I trust him? Should I have faith? Absolutely. And so he says in verse three, or verse 16 of chapter three, I hear and my body trembles my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. What's he saying? He's saying, this is scary. <laughs> I'm kind of trembling, Lord, at the thought of all that's going to happen. And yet... I, I have faith in you that you will bring us through just like you did in the Exodus and just like you've always done. You are faithful and you are good and you are a God who loves to save. And so I'll wait quietly for the Babylonians to get their comeuppance because I see that that's part of your plan and I see that the salvation of Israel is still part of your plan. And... I believe you. I have faith. And that's his response to the information about Babylon. But then he goes on to an even more personal response. In verse 17, he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olives fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes, my, he makes me tread on my high places. Does he have faith in God? Absolutely. And he's saying, 
Bad times are coming. I see it. You answered me. I asked what you were going to do. You told me. I trust you. You know, I may have nothing. I may have no crops. I may, I may have no herds. I may have literally nothing, but I trust you. And my strength is going to be in you through this. You're the one that's going to make me prance around like a young deer. I'm not going to prance. But do you see what he's saying? In the midst of all of this, you are God and I trust you. In the midst of this whatever, cancer, job loss, persecution, who knows? Where are you looking? What's your faith in? It should be in God. And it should be in the fact that he uses trials of all kinds to prove our faith, to strengthen us, to help us, not to hurt us. And yet so many times we, we take our eyes off of God and, and we look to the circumstances around us and we are in despair. And Habakkuk could have easily been in despair. Can you imagine the situation? It's hard to imagine. We don't, like I said, we don't, we just don't even fully grasp what that would have been like to, to see Babylon looming on the door, doorstep. It, it was horrific. And yet he says, I'm going to put my faith in God. And God says, that's how the righteous lives. He puts his faith in me. And that's why this verse is repeated in the New Testament. Because that's how faith works. You, you, you realize who God is and what he's done. And you say, yes, I'm going to keep my eyes on you. I see what you did on the cross through Christ and I see my sin and I know that there is no hope for me except for Jesus and I believe it and I, I claim it as my own. I have faith. I am nothing without Christ. He is my only hope. Faith. And it's always been like that. Circumstances have changed a bit, but faith has been faith from the beginning, and it will be faith. And the, the amazing thing is that, you know, this book of Habakkuk is a good example for us of faith lived out in a very practical way. You know, so, so the question that, that we have to answer or to ask ourselves is, am I, you know, how am I living by faith? Am I living by faith in these hard circumstances that I have, whatever they may be? They may be little, they may be really big, but where is your faith? Is it in God to bring you through this and not only to bring you through it, but to strengthen you through this? Because that's what he says. He says, brothers, count it all joy when you experience trials of many kinds because it's going to produce endurance 
And endurance is going to have its final work in, in that you're going to be made perfect. So have faith and go through it. And see it as a test of your faith, but also a testimony of your faith. Like, you can't get through this without God helping you. And, and God knows those who are his own, and he brings them through these things. So it's a testimony of your faith, but it's a test of your faith. So a good Old Testament book, um, a very practical book, and, and I hope that, you know, that God uses this to, to help you in your life when you do face trials of any kind. You know, look to Habakkuk and, and remember who God is and remember that he is faithful and we need to put our faith and our trust in him. And that's how we get through. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the chance to look at um, your word. I do hope that it's been uh, instructive, but more than that, I hope that it helps us to love you more, to desire to follow you more uh, closely. Lord, to look to you in hard times and to, to realize that you use those things to draw us closer to you, to build endurance. And, and Lord, I, I confess that I, I want to think that I would just love you to the nth degree on my own, but I know better and I know that it takes hard things to make me dependent on you, to build that trust in you. And so, Lord, I, I just pray for grace and for mercy as we go through hard things that we would look to you and that you would strengthen our faith in you through those things. Lord, thank you for this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.